Ah, shit. How do I for each a f***ing array in JavaScript? Why, how are you in JavaScript now? What are we even I'm in, doing? I'm in the console, in the browser window. That might be an array-like object. You might need to cast it. This is a race to see who gets it. Yeah, list. dude, let's do this, Oh! <gasps> really, you f***ing brilliant. <laughs> Have we really been at this problem for 15 minutes? Because I started 20. recording when I came in, so... <laughs> Is this how you guys wanted to spend your evening? Are you guys taking my shit? You ready to do this? I'm so Jason. <laughs> I don't even know what the topic is. You gave me a thing to play with, and so I'm still doing that. Let's do this! Welcome, dear listener, to the QQ Cast. Today is Thursday, February 3rd, 2022. And we're your hosts, Tandapot, Zach Mayer, and Raul Torres. Say hi, gentlemen. Console.log, hi, gentlemen. (laughs) 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 And this, dear listener, is the start of our new numbering system. This is, I guess we'll still call them quests, who fucking cares? Quest 259, where we change the format. Um... That's not actually the title I, of the quest. I thought but you were going to, like, put it in Octal or something, or Hex. <laughs> You're, the number system's the same, Tom. Pick <laughs> oh, so, a okay. different base. <laughs> right. Going forward, we're just going to have a linear number system. We're going to actually do QQ News uh, every time at the end of the podcast. And then quests and reviews are just going to become one thing. Uh, so we're, we're trying out something different for 2022. We've been doing this shit for literally a decade. Time to shake it up. Because we're bold and adventurous like that. So which listicle are we talking about today, Tom? Correct. (laughs) All right, dear listener, episode 259, was 1999 the best movie year ever? Best year for film? I don't know. We'll make that better when I type it. But, um, Zach, you were the only one of us, I think, that saw The Matrix Resurrections. Is that accurate? I mean, yeah. Yeah. When I wanted, there was a Saturday when I was like, I'm going to see it now. And then it's just like, it is now off of HBO Max. I'm like, oh no. Wait, did it really get removed off HBO Max? Yeah. Because their release pattern is like 30 days exclusive HBO Max. I think after that, you could maybe rent it on VOD for like 20 something dollars. But like, I didn't watch it for free, so I'm not going to pay for it. Um, It may or may not be on a certain Plex server. Okay. (laughs) It's good to know. Also, okay, you're the one who saw The Matrix. Uh, I didn't see it. I've actually at this point, because I don't care anymore, I watched a couple of reviews. It seemed very meta. But um, one of the topics I'd, wa- I'd had my cue for a while, I wanted to talk about, was like, what was the best year in cinema? And there's a bunch of different, like, some would say all the way back in 1939. Uh, 1986 is actually ridiculously impressive for movies and cinema. But I started thinking about, hey, when did The Matrix come out? 1999. And come to find out, that was actually a really big year for cinema, some of the movies were absolutely positively insane uh, on on this list. So I found, uh, we are doing a listicle, I found IMDb. I went and uh, filtered between 1999, January 1st, and 1999, December 31st, and I sorted by box office gross. And honestly, this movie list for 1999 is is kind of fucking insane. So I'm just going to give, we're just going to do the top 10, but I'm just going to give a bunch of honorable mentions just gonna just list these off because it's it's absolutely crazy um <laughs> deuce bigelow male gigolo uh and that's what you're leading with <laughs> no, I don't, like, you'll, you'll, you'll know these movies galaxy quest deep blue sea any given sunday entrapment the haunting uh sleepy hollow american pie analyze this we can we can wild wild west double jeopardy the world is not enough we're not going to talk about American Beauty. The Green Mile. Like, it, there's just an unbelievable amount of movies in, in 1999 that, like, I still know the name of. They were pretty big splashes. But I just want to talk about the top ten. Um, so, uh, yeah, listicle. New numbering system. Same bullshit podcast. <laughs> oh, man. South Park. Bigger, longer, and uncut. Wait, was that in this this year? Yeah. Yeah. That's number 47. That's only 40. Wow, that didn't make a lot of money in the gross box office. And Bicentennial Man. Oh, and Three Kings. Ooh, and Varsity Blues. I hadn't I hadn't gone. Pokemon the movie where Pikachu talks. There's so many. Right? It's a big fucking year. But uh let's just do let's just do the top ten. Uh number ten, grossing 
$140 million at the box office with a budget of like a few grand. The Blair Witch Project. Really, you are a horror aficionado, expert, whatever the fuck. <laughs> what's your what's your uh what's your take on the Blair Witch Project? Um it's okay. I wasn't in love with it, but I think it's it's one of those things where it's not the film itself, it's the hype and the kind of like point in time around it. Because I think what made it kind of interesting was the like I think it was like Fox TV or like whenever like like remember that like time when Fox used to be like alien autopsies like in prime time and junk like that yeah. like the randomest yeah, crap yeah, yeah. well they do that all the time and then all of a sudden it's just like they kind of had this like loose like kids get lost in the woods where are they type thing I think there was like stuff on MTV like there was a lot of this thing that really kind of like blurred the line I, I wouldn't call it ARG territory but it's kind of that like kind of like a, a soft entrance into that kind of like thing that you'll see in like Cloverfield and all a bunch of other movies going well, yeah, forward. Yeah, this was so like think... the birth of found footage, right? Uh, was it the Genesis? I... Or was it the first one to go viral and big? I, th- I think it's like the biggest viral one, right? Because like you could consider like a whole bunch of other s- stuff in the past kind of found footage you know, it's, it's kind of debatable, right? But like, I think this is the one that kind of brought it to the point where folks started to like do more of that genre in horror. So um, it's good. I mean, I, I watched it and I kind of like, it's not disgusting, but it's like it, you do get motion sickness sometimes because it's so shaky cam. Um, it's, but it's fine. It's hard to watch. It yeah. didn't deserve the money that it got. Um, I, I say that. Like, marketing aside, or, or I, I guess marketing alone is the reason that this thing yeah. was as successful as it was. And the marketing was good because it was a thing. Well, my understanding like, is I was the, excited the marketing... to see this in theaters. You mentioned the marketing was literally like uh, they tried to make like they were selling it to make it sound like it was real. Like, oh, this was real footage. So it wasn't a conventional Mm -hmm. like movie marketing campaign. They were being subversive. Is that is that accurate? Do you guys know? Oh, yeah. 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 Um, And it's actually funny because like um, I don't remember how long it was ago, but like they did like a um, I went to some horror convention and they did a a Blair Witch retrospect type thing. And they had one of the actresses there and she was saying, if you ever make a movie don't use your real name in the movie because it's just a rights nightmare for anything that you ever do with your name ever again in your life. And she was kind of saying like, oh, you know, it's probably trying to go that extra mile to make it as real as possible to use your real names and everything kind of bitter in the butt. So um, it's, it's, there's, it's just an interesting approach. Yeah. I really have nothing else to add. Like I, this is not a movie I could ever imagine myself going back and rewatching because like I did see it once I remember being ridiculously boring, and it just has, like, admittedly, the neat ending payoff of, you know, they go down to the bottom of the house, and the girl's facing the corner of the wall, just like that story they told. But, like, this shouldn't have even been a Twilight Zone episode. This, like, shouldn't have filled 30 minutes. It's a five-minute creepypasta you see on YouTube. That's all it should have been, right? But, I mean, kudos to getting $140 billion for it. Yeah, yeah right. now the marketing was nuts for this. Um, they really did sell it. And it felt like, what was the... Um, uh, it, 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 the whole story, in hindsight, to me, reminds me of Springtime for Hitler. <laughs> Producers? So, yeah, yeah it's, it's people trying to make a really shitty movie uh, because they can just crank out a marketing budget for it and rake in a shit ton of money. That's not quite the same thing that they were trying to do in the producers, but similar deal. Like how, how how garbage of a movie can we produce on the minimalist budget possible, uh, and just market the shit out of it, and see what happens? I don't know. On the other hand, like the Blair Witch Project did bring the whole found footage thing kind of into some kind of limelight and you could maybe point to it as being an inspiration for things like um uh what's the uh skyline was that it oh i don't think that was really found footage just i don't remember it no not i think you're, i think you're mentioning i think you're thinking the one that really already mentioned uh, uh jay jabram's yeah chlorophyll yeah. chlorophyll, like chlorophyll, chlorophyll perno- that's it the paranormal activity stuff yeah, yeah, like yeah. that it's it's uh the, the found footage thing works for the horror genre pretty well just because it kind of puts you in the driver's seat of whatever is being scary and chasing you so sure but there's a limit and 
Blair Witch Project way crossed it. It was it was too much. All right, Not well, enough. Move, moving on. Know. We probably talked more about this <laughs> than I, I've spent think, time thinking about it um, in the last two decades. Moving on, number nine, a movie I do not give half a fuck about, Runaway Bride. <laughs> I got nothing to say about this one, folks. I don't think I, I saw this. Good. I don't think I've seen it either. There are very few movies on this list of 50 movies that I haven't seen. This is one of them. Agreed. Really, anything. 39 Metascore. Let's keep going. No Number Rocho. eight. Uh, Brendan Fraser's The Mummy. Is that how you pronounce that? Yes. Correct. The Mummy. Yeah, so this was the start of a, a, was it a trilogy? Uh, in, including or not including The Rock's spinoff movie? I don't remember. The Scorpion King. That's the one. Yeah. It was good. I, I'm pretty sure I've seen it with my daughter within the past month or two. So it's a good movie. Wow. Okay. It's it's in this in the, it's in that weird like adventurous. There's scary stuff, but not like terrifyingly scary stuff. Was this kind of like the closest we got to like an Indiana Jones kind of thing going on in the in the nineties? I can't think of anything else that would yeah resemble it. Yeah, this was when like um Brendan Fraser was big, like real fucking big in the mid to late nineties. Um, I, I, he's supposed to be a super nice guy. I, I guess some bad, st- I don't know what bad stuff happened to him. That's why he left acting. But like, I, I can't really tell you, I fully understand his huge stardom in the nineties. Like, yeah, he was like, he had some, a fairly diverse set of roles. He was in like, well, like Encino man or some shit and this and airhead. So it's like, he was a caveman. He was a, you know, a surfer dude. And now he's an action star. So good for Brandon Frazier. I, I, I never quite got it, but cool, diverse, like in high demand in the late nineties. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I, I can't explain the appeal to you either, Tom. So <laughs> you know I, I, I have seen him referred to on the internet as the original himbo. Um yeah. so if you don't know what that is, it's an attractive but unintelligent man. So I I can see the vibe there. <laughs> yeah. No thoughts, just vibes. Um yeah, I mean, he's he's making a comeback. For some reason, the internet remembered Brandon Fraser and was like, where the fuck is he now? And yeah, he is just a legitimately nice, unproblematic dude uh, who decided that he was kind of in over his head and retreated into the mountains. But um, Which, again, yeah, good for him. Yeah, again, like, you know, do what you gotta do. But, um, you know, he started getting a lot of love on the internet and now he's doing a bunch of new projects which you know you love to see it it's the Renaissance. um <laughs> what, what's like... what's something he's in right now like i know he's been cast in things but what's an example was it, isn't he coming up in like a marvel movie or something uh doom? well doom patrol doom patrol I, that's, is a that's thing what I vaguely know of. that's that's a series and uh let's see he's doing batgirl apparently and then Killers of the Flower Moon. I don't know what that is. No sudden move was was last year. Uh, Professionals looks like an action movie. The Secret of Karma. Uh, he's headlining. Which I mean, the poster looks cool, but I mean, a lot of this stuff I've never really heard of or thought about. Yep, no clue. I mean, he's got little bits and pieces in series uh, over the last several years. Um, made cameos and done little appearances i just i guess just to kind of stay connected to the industry but um you know starring roles not really been a thing the secret of karma looks like uh 2020 it's a movie 6.8 uh on imdb so you know did did y'all like the movie i haven't seen it you haven't seen the mummy Oh, the mummy? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I thought you were talking I don't about remember. the secret okay, of okay. karma. Yeah, no, I'm trying to get us back to the, the, the list. <laughs> yes, I've seen the mummy. Okay. <laughs> I even saw the the like fourth one that didn't have anybody that we know in it. And so instead of the, the, back in the day, dear listener, that was straight to what was called DVD or VHS. Now it would be straight to Netflix. Straight to VOD. It's it's good. It's it's funny. I think. Uh, the special effects mostly work pretty well still. I think it's one of those ones where like they still had like a mix of practical and some of the like CGI stuff and it's one of those ones where they do the CGI right in the sense of like they know the limitation, so it's just like, hey, you know nineteen nineties CGI looks 
muddy and gross. So let's just let's just make the monsters all muddy and gross, and it'll work well because if it looks bad, that's that's the CGI doing its job. Yay! Yeah, that's, yeah, that's what it's supposed to do. <laughs> all right. Well, cool. Let's uh, let's move on to number seven. Adam Sandler's Big Daddy. Big Daddy. So honestly, oh, man, this is one. the last Adam Sandler movie I remember thinking it was funny. <laughs> like, yeah. Uh, anyone else? Um, I, I liked I like Little Nicky. That was a year afterwards. Big Daddy was it? Big Daddy or You're Little wrong. Nicky, where he pees his pants to make <laughs> the other kid look less like? A no, loser. that that was that's like Adam Sandler's first movie. That's like Billy Madison. Was that Billy Mad? Shit, what is Big Daddy? I don't know. They all kind of bleed together because he's the same dude <laughs> in all of them. Um, I think he makes a few less weird voices in this one. Maybe. I I saw something, uh, some article somewhere that like he plans his movies around based where he wants to take a vacation. I so believe that. That sounds about right. It kind of makes sense. I'm like, okay, now yeah, I, I I respect that. Um, yeah, I don't. I I just never. I I don't like the dude. I think um, one of the saving graces in our family of um, we try to put everything in, in Spanish so our kids can learn more. Um, I can actually enjoy Hotel Transylvania now because I don't have to hear Adam Sandler's <laughs> voice anymore because he doesn't speak Spanish apparently, which is good for me. <laughs> nice. Yeah, I, I have nothing against this era of Adam Sandler. Uh, there's definitely accusations of like all his Netflix deals. Like he's literally just making the worst movies he possibly can with him and his friends just to then get a payday, which... I mean, hey, good for you. If someone walked up to me and was like, hey, you, Zach and Raul, go make a movie for millions of dollars, I'd make a shitty movie with you guys for millions of dollars. Yeah. I, I've, I've heard a lot of folks really loving Uncut Gems, and it makes me slightly curious about it, but also out of Yeah, which, it's not a comedy, though, so. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Fuck it. Moving on. Number six, the animated flick Tarzan. I don't think I ever saw this. Is this a Disney one? Yeah. Yeah. I saw this. I vaguely remember it. I mean, does anyone have anything to say about this? No, it didn't have all the memorable songs. Like, I'm sure that I could recognize music that came from it, but I would have to hear it. Nothing's really springing to mind. Honestly, I just know that Tarzan is in fucking uh, Kingdom Hearts. (laughs) (laughs) Well, there you go. Okay, well, we have remarkably little to say about that. All right, which brings us to number five, the movie that inspired this entire list. I'm trying to think of some kind of programming joke. It's Array Array. Array of Arrays? No? Yeah, I, I get where you're going. Uh, you get you get points for effort. I think that it's might be a little too inside baseball. <laughs> number five, the Wachowskis, The Matrix. Man, this movie was such a hit when it came out. It really broke into pop culture. It uh, introduced the world to club music and raves. It was all about looking cool with sunglasses and leather. Uh, and it more or less created bullet time. Was that a thing prior to this? I don't know that it was. Not no. really, no. Bullet time was was pretty solidly a Matrix credit. Yeah, so when was the last time you guys watched The Matrix? I have to confess, I haven't watched it in, in many, many years. I kind of want to go back um, and watch it, especially in light of the new movie. Um, I'm pretty sure it would hold up. Uh, have y'all seen it? I, I... want to say that I watched it last year in preparation for the new one. But I honestly don't remember if that was last year or the year before. <laughs> Maybe the year before that, because time is irrelevant now. Damn I... you, COVID! I started it... And then I'm like, I know all the beats. I've seen this a bunch of times. I'm just going to jump to two already and fell forward through the boring parts. <laughs> yeah, no, I definitely had this on repeat for a while. Just playing in the it's, background. It's good. I mean, I think we've talked about this a lot. So I don't know if there's anything we could add about it. I don't <laughs> I don't mind talking about it more, but y'all steer this conversation. Bullet time. Bullet it, time. It was leather. copied everywhere. Yeah, I mean, like... Keanu had done a bunch of weird shit and mediocre shit in the 90s, like Johnny Mnemonic and Francis Ford Coppola's Dracula. I mean, he he did, I think he got cast in this just because of speed, just because they're like, ah, he could sort of be an action star. Um, so honestly, aside from this and speed, I can't really think of anything else that really cemented, he, he's had a very interesting career, but it doesn't really cemented his career to like, yeah, this movie and speed, these are why he's a fucking star to this day. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, I buy that. Um, yeah, and then Carrie-Anne Moss and Hugo Weaving, Lawrence Fishburne, all great actors. Yeah, which um, was was this Hugo Weaving's breakout role in the United States? Because he's from New Zealand, and yeah. I think this was his huge introduction. And then, of course, two years later, you know, Elrond and the uh, fucking um, Lord of the Rings. Yeah, definitely. Uh, this is the first thing that I remember seeing him in. Uh, yeah. Well, that's not true. I went to some like art house screening of uh, Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, uh, like a year, maybe two before this came out, and it was honestly, I think I went just to like impress a girl or something, but <laughs> it was okay, uh, and I didn't really think about it, and then I was like, where do I know this dude from? I swear I've seen him before, and yeah, <laughs> no, he was. Uh, it was a it was a coming out story in uh, in the desert and yeah super fun anyway uh, yeah no it was I mean it was a hell of a good movie just on the face of it the um, the trans metaphor stuff definitely is there in retrospect in retrospect because yeah of, mm-hmm. because I was looking at it through like the eyes of a fourteen year old or thirteen year old. <laughs> Uh, and I just thought it was a kick-ass action movie with a what-the-fuck sort of hook. And um, it was. Yeah, but, I mean, you know, this is the Wachowski uh, brothers now, then sisters. Sisters and... now. I'm confused of what your time of now is, but yes. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, no, uh, the, the fact that this has, again, such an amazing uh, trans allegory in it, I think it's a huge credit to the filmmaking that I mean, this is the best possible way. Like, no one realized at the time. Like, it is so... It's not overt, but once you know, once you see it, like, oh my god, it is painted throughout the entire film. And I think when you're doing any allegory, I think that's the best way to go, where you don't necessarily realize, like, oh, that's about racism. Oh, <laughs> that's about sexism. Like, it is so masterful when you look back at something and go, oh shit, that's what that was all about. Holy fuck. And I think yeah. this movie just nails that undebatably it absolutely does and how cool is it that that's in line with the theme of like taking the red pill and waking up red pill got co-opted though yeah yeah we don't talk about that that anymore Um, god damn it um one of the other interesting things too i don't remember where i saw it but they were basically saying that like one of the things that made that allegory thing a little bit more obvious was uh the character of switch was supposed to change genders when they were in the matrix versus in the real world yeah um, the studio i think forced them to not do that that which, does suck which actually like sounds cool like and interesting from the sense of like like adding more to that like you know who how do you perceive yourself versus who you are in the quote-unquote real world um but honestly even if that was there I don't even think that most folks would even pick on that anyway. So it's just like, it's, it seems so weird that that would be the one thing that would get, you know, changed, but whatever. I just, the whole thing is pretty cool. Yeah. 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 It's, it's embarrassingly easy for me to imagine the room where that decision came up and they're just like, yeah, it's just, there's so much other cool stuff to focus on. We don't want audiences to get distracted from all the other cool things that you're doing. It's such a cop out. Like, if it's just if there's so much else going on then this is either going to get lost in the shuffle of all the other cool shit we're doing or it's going to be you know super important to somebody who it really shouldn't be super important to and they're going to be mad about it and let them be <laughs> so yeah i don't know. yeah well um cool you want to move on uh yes. sure the next one's fun all right number 4 mike myers austin powers 2 the spy who shagged me. So, okay, I remember all three Austin Powers movies being fucking hilarious back in the day. This is another example of a set of movies. Frankly, I'm kind of afraid to go back and rewatch because I'm just <laughs> not sure if they'd age well. They're not as riotous as they once were. I I remember seeing this one in theaters and coming out and just could not stop laughing. The entire time I was watching it, and then even afterwards, walking out of the theater, just, it was so funny to me. Again, as a 13-year-old. <laughs> I'm amazed your parents took you to the theater so, to watch this. Like, well, yeah. I don't know. It was it was hilarious, and I loved every bit of it. Um, and it's still, it, it's funny. It has its moments, but it is, 
it is teenager humor. Yeah. So um, 90s teenager humor. So, you know, the, the last James Bond just came out, No Time to Die. I haven't watched it. But one of the things I was enjoying last year was I listened to a podcast called um, From Rewatch with Love, where these guys went through every single James Bond movie and did this, like, deep dive, in-depth, like, talking about all the production notes, all the stunts, all the behind-the-scenes stuff. And even though I'm not in James Bond, I was really enjoying listening to that. And I, I listened to all of them. And then, like, watching, or sorry, listening to that makes me kind of interested in rewatching the first one of these movies, because that would have been the one that was just entirely around spoofing James Bond, and then it kind of grew from there. So mm -hmm. I think I'd be interested in rewatching part one, but again, I'm almost afraid to rewatch part two or part three. Honestly, Spy Who Shagged Me is my favorite of the, th like, the first one is funny, but they... Well, it had, it had Heather Graham, and, um, yeah. enough said. yeah. Like, the first one's fine. It it absolutely is fine. And if you're watching it just because you need a good parody, absolutely, sure. But as far as the trilogy goes, the second one, I think, is, is the best of the three. It has kind of established what it is and where it's going, and it doesn't, it, it doesn't have to do any establishment at that point. Like, it doesn't need to earn its credentials. It's already done that with the first movie, so it's just <laughs> having fun. And then the third one probably didn't need to be made, but <laughs> is is this the one where they're trying to do the U-turn in the car that's too long? I think so. Yeah. No, no, that's okay. the first one where he's in the hallway. Is it with the little golf cart? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. they're trying to stop the rocket launch. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That was the first one. Well, anything else to add? It's fine. All right, moving on to number three, which is actually Toy Story Two. Um, y'all, I know I saw the first Toy Story. I am not certain whether or not I've seen the other, there's four now, right? So the other three Toy Stories. And for the life of me, even if I did, I couldn't tell you which was which. But isn't this the one that's considered, like, air quotes, the best? I think so. And I'm not 100% sure that I've seen the Toy Story sequels either. Really, uh, you're a parent. You must have seen these. I've I've seen one, and one two, and three. I like three the most, but it's 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 one of those series where it just like there is like age trajectories and stuff like that, which I think kind of works out pretty well. And it's it's one of those things where it's just like since these are the Pixar movies, it's kind of like this weird like kids movies with like a lot of kids perspective stuff, but also like the adult kind of like ideas in the background. I'm trying to remember this. This is the one where, um, yeah, like the, the toy collector buys Woody or something like that, right? Yeah. Well, if I know. Yeah, no. That, uh, I'm just reading the plot blurb. Woody is stolen by a toy collector. Buzz and his friends set out on a rescue mission to save Woody before he becomes a museum piece. I don't recall seeing anything like that, so I'm pretty sure I haven't seen this one. Yeah. I, I, I don't, I think. One, one, and three are the favorites for me, and three is just like this, like existential crisis type thing, and <laughs> coming to terms with like oblivion I've movie, heard which that, and that makes me honestly scared to watch two and three. <laughs> it's don't... it's so weird, right? Like like if if you've never seen three, I don't want to spoil that moment because it's such it's such a weird moment to be in a kids movie. That I don't understand, but it's it's like emotionally good. Like it's it's definitely a wild ride. Uh, I, I would definitely say watch three if you haven't seen it. Fair enough. Okay. And this was go. talking about Toy Story two. Yeah, might have to go watch the trilogy. <laughs> I, I think you can. Or the I think you can see Is there a four? Yeah, there's a four. I think so, yeah. I, I just I haven't seen it yet. So I mean, I think it's on Disney Plus. I'll watch it eventually. Is it a quadrilogy or a quaternary? Quadrant. Okay. Well, uh, should there maybe be six Toy Story movies? Which segue? That was a really cool <laughs> segue. To number two, M Night Shyamalan's The Sixth Sense. This was a I big fucking deal when it came out. Yeah, it really was. I liked the movie too. I remember seeing it for the first time and just the twist. This was Shyamalan <laughs> uh, at his best. And honestly, this is kind of the, the crescendo of Shyamalan. I don't remember what came out after this. I think it Signs. was Unbreakable. 
No, I think it was signs after this. Was it signs? Oh my Unbreak- god! Unbreakable and so then bad. signs. Oh, unbreakable then signs. Unbreakable okay. signs. The village lady in the water. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean this was. This wasn't his first movie, but it was one of them. Definitely I think the first it's the one, one that pick. they definitely. Because I'm looking at the list: wide awake and praying with anger. I've. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean this was this was his first anyone knew what it was movie, and yeah. it was a huge hit, and. Yeah, I mean, like, all of the things that would become Shyamalan tropes are there. So I don't know if it was just that they were fresh or that, I don't know, Shyamalan hadn't quite dialed it up to 11 on his own tropes yet, or if just the twist actually did pay off, or if, you know, Bruce Willis actually still gave half a shit at this point in his career. But, um, yeah, man, Sixth Sense was solid. Again, I I don't know about rewatching it. I don't know how old age, but also Haley Joel Osment was fucking maybe the best child actor of all time. Maybe he was really good in this. Um, I don't know. I, I liked. I liked a lot about it. I liked the casting. I liked the cinematography. I liked the the script and the twist. Uh, it was good. It was also a lot of fun because it was something that you could go back and rewatch and still get more out of, like the whole mm-hmm. red clue thing. Um, yeah. Sort of similar to the uh, the totems in uh, Help Me Out Inception, mm-hmm. but. Um, oh. Yeah, no, it was it was wild because it was it, it's it's a mystery thr- thriller with a ghost story kind of backdrop, and I don't typically enjoy those very much personally. It's not a, a genre that I'm I'm gonna seek out most of the time. But this honestly just cool. Yeah, because I'm time. trying to, I'm trying to remember about how far along in the movie until you kind of get that. Oh yeah, it's probably the ghost type thing. Was it like three fourths or like towards the end? I don't even remember. But uh, I mean, I see dead people is in Act One, I think. Really? Yeah, maybe I don't, towards no, the I beginning think so. of Act Two. I think two he says that pretty early like, on. Yeah. Yeah, it, it mm-hmm. was it was pretty early on, and the whole thing is like Bruce Willis is trying to help this kid cope with trauma and trying to like figure out what makes him tick, and the whole I see dead people thing comes up, and he's treating it as oh this kid is mentally disturbed and that's how it's presented through almost all of the movie right and mm-hmm. until the very end um but yeah no you get the sense Which... that there's more to the kid say you know with that line alone than what's being you know so, presented I... to face value but i i go back and forth with this movie because like I don't, I don't remember if this actually happened to me or I've heard the story of like similar things, but like basically it's just like back in the before times, even the before before times when you actually had to like show up to a movie theater early for the seats, um, (laughs) that there were, there were people that would show up to the film, but they would miss the first two to five minutes. And this this is where like, I kind of go back and forth of like, like, is the twist really there or not? Like he gets shot in the first two minutes like practically point blank range for all you know intents and purposes he's dead right and then it's just like it's one of those things where like oh he's here now so i guess he survived that right i think that's that's the thought that goes through everyone's head yeah but then like when everyone recounts the movie like no one ever mentions that part and like i'm like oh yeah like that literally happened yeah yeah so it's just like it's it's so weird how like it's it is remembered as a movie with a twist but also it's just like it's really, I really do think it's it's like laid out right in front of you. Well, that's what so makes it, it so much fun is because, yeah. yes, it is obvious in retrospect, uh, but you're meant to forget that, right? It's supposed to be like, hey, here's your flashy opener to get your attention, and then you move into the, the quieter parts of the story. Yeah, um, and, and I, think, I think that's probably why it works so well from that twist perspective, just because like from a tropey type thing, if you see someone die and then the next you know, or get shot and the next scene they're okay, you think like, oh, this is like the movie world where it's just a flesh wound. He recovered just fine. The story needs to continue. He's, he needs to be alive for this story. So it's kind of weird how it kind of plays with that trope just a little bit. I think that's that is the secret sauce to the uh, the twist working so well. Yeah. All right, gentlemen, should we go to number one? Do we have to? Uno. <laughs> we do. We have to go back to where it all began. Number one. Star Wars Episode One: <laughs> Phantom Menace. <laughs> Darth Maul 
had no idea who Luke was, or not Luke, Anakin was, <laughs> and just decided that he was going to run over some random kid in the desert. True. <laughs> <laughs> we could have had the end of the whole nine movies if uh, Liam Neeson had just been like, nah, I'm a little slow today. if if Darth Maul had been just a little bit quicker we could have saved trillions of lives Uh, Duel of the Fates was amazing that's the best thing about that whole movie yes 100% I actually liked that whole lightsaber battle at the end but oh dear god yes uh, one of the best pieces of Star Wars music oh my god so I I think we've talked about this obviously on the cast before but like the, the two things to me about this movie are one Nothing will ever be as hyped again as this movie was. This movie was hype to the nth degree. I just, I can't think of anything in the past that was more hype. And even these days, we're like, you had 10 years building up to Avengers Endgame. Like, I still think Phantom Menace was more hyped. Yeah, I mean, at the time, I definitely felt it more. I don't know if somebody of the same age going into the Marvelverse would get quite the same thrill. Or, like, even the sequel to the first star wars in uh in the 70s and 80s but um yeah it's it's hard to measure right because this was this was our hype this was exactly the time when we were into this shit and oh man yeah getting a new star wars at just that right moment it was made for us i enjoyed it at the time every time i think about it i cringe a little though (laughs) So, oh, it was it was not a fucking good movie. To this no. day, still, I'm a huge fan of let, Red Letter Media, and this this critiquing this movie is how they got their fucking start. It's still hilarious. Go watch it. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, Ewan McGregor is great. Um, Natalie Portman was okay. Jake Lloyd was great. Um, so you know, we got some good things. No, the, the and... cast was good. Just I mean, Lucas is not a good director, and he's an even worse fucking writer. Um, but that, that's honestly what brought me, like I said, I'm going to go, there's two things with this movie. One is the hype. And two is the, the great debate. What's, what's better and what's worse? The sequel trilogy or the prequel trilogy? And like, yeah. look, yeah, I will give one piece of credit to the prequel trilogy. At least it was trying to tell a story. It told it poorly. And <laughs> I question a lot of things in that story. And the payoff kind of sucked, even though we already knew the ending. But like, at least it was fucking trying to tell a story. Unlike the sequel trilogy, which was just, eh. Let's roll dice. <laughs> yeah, that was uh, so disjointed and weird. And yeah, I guess you can give it credit to like trying to tell a story, but um, I didn't say it succeeded. Mm. I said it tried. <laughs> Jar Jar Binks, though, and the entire like. Look, I want to do a Jar Jar movies. Binks impression, but like, I would be afraid people would 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 me to my ass or or shut me down. It's for so like, bad. Yeah, being racist. Like, it's I so want to use that voice because it's a lot of fun, but I can't use it. No. So I was I was 13 when this came out? Yeah. I remember thinking even then, wow, that character is super racist. <laughs> um, so, see, I was too young and dumb to know that. But yeah, so I, I think for, for me, because I, I do remember seeing it in theaters and like, at 13, I don't even think I was into Star Wars. Like, I, I think I might have saw, like, the other movies in passing. But, like, seeing those movies through, like, a kiddo's not really in the movies or anything in the eyes is one thing. So I think, for me, one of the one of the weirdest things was, like, seeing the hype around all these movies. Liking the pod racing scene. Liking the last last fight of it. But I'm like, this is... This was what all this hype was for? And it wasn't that good? No, it was not So good. I, I, I almost think that it's pod just, racing like... Was like great. Like that, that kind of like hype machine kind of like almost soured my any interest in any of the Star Wars stuff for a while, and that's, that's probably a little bit more my my perception on it. And, and but whatever, it's, but it was just it was just weird. You're not, and, but it's wrong. you're not alone. We no. went yeah. from space magic to trade mitochondrians, and it's just like, oh yeah, hey, let's let's make our main motivation for this a blockade, a mm-hmm. trade blockade. And, I guess. And, and growing up as a kid, too, like, I always felt that it was weird that, like, you're starting this movie with, like, this long, long line of text of everything that happens and things I need to know. And I'm like, 
is there some homework assignment I need to do before watching this movie? Because this is a lot of stuff I need to read to actually be set up in your environment. And like that, that's like, I know it's a trademark of the series, but that's always rubbed me the wrong way. And like seeing it in theaters for like the trade embargo, blah, blah, blah. Like I, what trade embargo? What? In space they have trade embargoes? What is going on? <laughs> right. What's amazing to me is the amount of literature that sprung up around that to justify it. Um, it's ridiculous. <laughs> but yeah, no, the it's the only franchise that can get away with the text scroll. Like, Palpatine is back! Anyway. I'm positive that other movies have done a similar thing, or tried to, and it's the yeah, only space one balls. that can get away. Yeah, well, Spaceballs. <laughs> yeah, that's a parody. But it's, it's mandatory. Count. It has to do it. Well, all right, gentlemen. Uh, anything else to add before we move on to the news? Uh, Darth Maul survived. <laughs> True. Technically correct. How? How? As a, a whole spider thing. robot. Yeah, there's a whole thing in the Clone Wars. I mean, don't you want to be a spider robot? It's the next best thing to a Spider-Man. He went literally insane, and then he took over a planet. Hashtag just Clone Wars things, really. Yep. Yep. All right, before we transition to news, gentlemen, I want to pull over a uh, tradition from the QQ Adventure. Again, I'm just trying to mash all of our podcasts into one. So uh, we're going to have a word from our sponsor tonight. After these messages, we'll be right back. Our sponsor tonight, M&M's. Do you like a sexy candy? M&M's. When you want your hard-shelled candy to wear thigh-high boots, M&M's, may they never not be sexy. This ad brought to you by Andrew Carlson. What a world when our candy isn't sexy enough. <laughs> should be aroused uh, when I eat stuff. I, I have I have thoughts on this. Do we want to open this can of worms or not? It's a bag of M&M's roll. We're, we're opening a bag of M&M's. Do we, do we want to unzip this bag very slowly? Oh, oh God. <laughs> Oh, oh, we are doing the news, so technically you can go there. Some of the Twitter commentary I saw is this is a genius move to have a silly controversy while they're being sued for child labor lawsuits. Yeah, yeah, I heard that. And I can't not disagree with that because once you know that they're what they're being sued for, it kind of does make sense that to have this ridiculous fiasco of the orange M&M is getting in touch with his anxiety? Well, why do I care? I just want chocolate. No, it honestly makes me just love it even more. <laughs> like, yes. Fox had to be like, hey, we need something to distract the public from our human rights violations. Tucker Carlson, you are our clown. Dance for the people, <laughs> Tucker. Dance, you clown. <laughs> Just the disrespect that implies is mm, delicious. <laughs> okay, Ruli, was that uh, was that your news article, or do you want to? Do we all got we got one news article for the table I mean, here? I, I have I have diff- I have multiple ones. So I wasn't sure how depressing or or exciting we want to be. Okay, okay. Uh, let's. I have a I have a dumb happy one. Zach, what do you have? Uh, GDPR. <laughs> I'm ready. I'm not ready. Do it, Zach. <laughs> Fucking do it. <laughs> uh, okay. Um, so I, I linked this to you guys earlier, uh, but yesterday there was an article that came out. Uh, the headline is GDPR enforcer rules that IAB Europe's consent pop-ups are unlawful. And there's a bunch of details in this. Um, the... Uh, 27 or so armed enforcement agencies in the European Union, led by the Belgian Data Protection Authority, uh, declared that the IAB, which is stands for something, I'm sure, but it's uh, basically a trade body, uh, was using consent pop-ups unlawfully. And these consent <laughs> pop-ups are, you see them everywhere. They're, these are the this site uses cookies. Do you want to accept all the cookies? And it gives you an option, but it doesn't really tell you anything about what those cookies are or yeah. what they're used for. And they're irrelevant because for me, I turn off third-party cookies and clear my cache. So yeah, go me. Yeah, sure. Um, well, in about 80% of the European internet, IAB is the company that, or the organization that provides the service that those pop-ups spring from. Um this is the uh, uh, Transparency and Consent Framework. 
that they use handles the pop-ups, handles the cookies, handles the tracking data, and feeds all of that data into their own customers. It's a thousand or so companies, including like Google and Apple and Facebook and whatnot. Microsoft is in there too. Uh, anyway, what this uh, enforcement action means, IAB is getting fined a bunch of money. And <laughs> uh, it is to say that their use of these pop-ups and the way that they handle data is in violation of GDPR guidelines. Well, guidelines. Which kind of makes sense, because if you're basically tracking someone all over the internet to determine if they don't want to be tracked all over the internet, <laughs> going to defeat the purpose now, doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, the, uh, the big points are the transparency about what will happen with your data, which is the pop-ups themselves don't really tell you anything about what it is that you're agreeing to. Uh, but there's other stuff in here that's important, like the data that they collect is not really being kept secure and confidential. Uh, they are failing to respect the requirement for, quote, data protection by design, uh, according to the GDPR guidelines. Uh, they're also failing to implement measures to ensure that data processing is performed in accordance with the GDPR. So basically everything about what they're doing is unlawful, but the thing that is going to have much more far-reaching effects is the specific bit about transparency uh, as that relates to these consent pop-ups because we see these everywhere the gdpr is the baseline framework that's used by california's own data privacy um, well Cal california thing. has a different law and i i <laughs> can't let me remember what the acronym is right now. No, I don't either, because GDPR is the umbrella that they all sort of stem from. California's isn't quite as thorough as GDPR, so everybody kind of goes well, yeah, G- by... GDPR came from the European Union, Yep. and that mm-hmm. forced you to be able to view and download and request cancellation of your data. Yeah. Um, oh, it I also covers things like right to be forgotten, which is yeah, that's all the data, data yeah. you have. Uh, yeah, no, California implemented a similar... Uh, set of guidelines and statutes and whatnots to sort of try to accomplish the same thing, but most places, most even medium-sized places, are going to look at GDPR if they want to do any kind of business internationally and say, this is the gold standard for what we need to comply with because it is the most thorough, the most, call it it restrictive, in what you can and can't do with data. Well, yeah, and dear listener, for the most part, when companies have to invest all this time and effort into developing uh, developing the ability to, to be GDR compliant, so giving gateways and portals for users to come and request their data, view their data, most companies aren't going to then bother to make an alternative version or disable that in countries where it's not required, such as, you know, not California, but the United States. So most yep. companies just open their, like, they have to do it. They just do the lowest common denominator. They make it available for everyone. Unlike a certain... Company has four letters. Used to have a book full of faces, uh, who are evil and don't give you that option in other countries. Yeah, yeah, they did that from the very beginning. Anyway, they're kind of a special case. Most companies treat GDPR as the top bar for compliance with data privacy laws worldwide because it is the most thorough. So this ruling saying that functionally, your um, say nothing pop-ups to accept all cookies not not meeting the bar um that doesn't mean that we're necessarily going to see all of these pop-ups disappear certainly not overnight like technology doesn't move quite that quick although this ruling was four years in the making and i can't believe that i only just heard about it when it was made um it does mean that the information in those pop-ups is going to have to be more relevant and user experience-wise, if we have anything like competent designers, <laughs> um, we're likely to see a change in the way that that consent is, is collected. Is the breakdown like the... Because um, I've seen like the, the pattern now is like, say like, hey, we need cookies. Do you want you know the ones that are required for the site to run, the ones that will improve your ad experience, or the ones that like track you everywhere, right? Kind of getting a little bit more granular in what you can opt in and out of. Yeah, and most you're supposed to provide that level of control mm-hmm. somewhere, but in the just blanket consent uh, that the the quote unquote traditional accept cookies pop ups were were 
being used for. The way to access the controls on what sorts of tracking you allow, what sorts of cookies you allow, uh, is not obvious, not really all that accessible in most applications. And in the case of IAB, we're not really made accessible at all. Um, so yeah, doing a breakdown in the consent request itself is pretty much the bare minimum. Um, but uh, going further than that is a user experience challenge. So I'll be interested to see what comes out of that and how the internet changes. Because this is like GDPR was a big deal yep. when it was mm -hmm. introduced. And the reason that we have these accept cookies pop-ups and privacy tracking and a bunch of other controls, even in you know the baseline browser itself is a result of GDPR being introduced. And now, four years later, we get a ruling like this that seems to change the game. Uh, the solution that people thought was acceptable is not. And so the internet will have to adapt. It won't do it overnight, but this means change. And it's going to be interesting to see how this falls out. Yeah. Uh, and one other tangentially related thing to this headline is just that um, Apple is facing, like, its worst quarter. Not Apple. Facebook is facing its worst. God damn it. Meta is facing its worst <laughs> quarter ever. Uh, that has mm -hmm. to do with uh, Apple increasing their security and forcing it to be opt-in instead of opt-out for tracking. So, yep. um, But but his worst you, quarter Apple. also, like, they only made $3 billion instead of 4 Oh, type? yeah. I don't fucking know. But um, <laughs> The big thing okay. that was driving their 20% stock drop was that uh, they, for the first time ever, reported a loss of net engagement. So fewer people interacting with Facebook and Instagram. Uh, I Look, fewer bucks for Zucks make me happy, okay? Yeah. Honestly, that I, I think that number is probably super skewed just because, like, folks need to keep COVID in mind as, like, a major statistical anomaly for the past three years, and... It's had people indoors kind of sheltering in place for a long time and kind of being, you know, a little bit more cautious. And I think the past two to three months, that kind of like um, weariness of the situation, I think everyone's fatigued and they're like, screw it, I'm going outside. So like like a statistical <laughs> drop of like Facebook usage went down the past couple of months. I mean, like it kind of makes sense. It doesn't seem like any type of like weird indicator yeah. that they're going downhill. It, no. it's, it's just so weird. No, it's, it's um, not like that number isn't rational in and of itself. It's coupled with things like spending $10 billion setting up the virtual reality space that the metaverse might uh, come out of. Uh, it's also the fact that Zuckerberg still has a majority voting share in meta mm -hmm. itself he owns 29 percent of the company but still the majority of the voting shares uh so he can do whatever he wants and people are increasingly uncomfortable with that as like <laughs> shareholders no in that company so yeah uh the metaverse thing feels like it could be cool but also nobody really wants it there's a healthy skepticism attached to it uh, so looking at that, plus all the money that's being spent, plus the drop in user engagement from the primary business. Oh, and the fact that Apple is knocking off a ton of their ad revenue, uh, just on its own speaks to a lack of confidence in the direction of the whole ship. So that 20% drop might be an overreaction. It almost definitely is, and it'll rebound in the next few days. But please don't, please don't, please don't, please don't. Well, it probably won't rebound 100% in a week, but maybe in a month. Who knows? Look, I'm on record um, as not liking Meta, so. Hey, I'm not a huge fan personally either, but I'm not going to speak for literal millions of people that have invested in it. Oh, I am <laughs> fools. No, I'm kidding. Okay, we, we've so, been doing a whole... Yeah. We, we just, like, tangented through, like, three or four headlines. So, Ruli, why don't you wrap us up and take us home with one of your headlines? Well, I, I really didn't want to do the depressing one, but I feel it kind of follows with some of the other threads with the GDPR stuff. God damn it! 
Sorry, but it's, it's it's relevant and it's sad and so interesting and fascinating all the time. It's 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 a boatload of emotions. Okay, so um, the story broke on political. I think it broke on political uh, last year, twenty eighth, maybe a little over a week. Um, so there's this organization called a nonprofit organization called the Crisis Text Line, and you know they help folks. You know they're dealing with you know hard stuff. You know self harm, emotional abuse, anxiety, crap like that. Well, it turns out. They're sharing data, text messages, stuff that they receive with a for-profit organization. Oh, God. And they're using that data to do AI work on and stuff to, like, train things on making customer support better. And everyone's kind of like, WTF. Is there an attempt at altruism here with, like, hey, we can help figure out what does or doesn't work to, to make people, you know basically step off a ledge i guess is there some, some i think it's all lining, it's please? all the philanthropy perspective of like hey any money we get from selling the product from these people will go back to the crisis helpline type thing but you know it's it's just opening up this weird like can of worms of like you know how what what are people's rights to their data and i think one of the things they were mentioning is just like well, we, we share this like terms of service with anyone who starts to engage with, with you know, the text messaging tool, but also just I like generally, gen, gen, well, but even, even that, but like, like if it, if is the intended audience is people who are, you know, in a bad place, I think the last thing that's going to be on your mind is let me check the terms of services to make sure that this conversation is completely private. Oh yeah, exactly. Um, it's, you know, it's, it's so weird and, and kind of mind boggling, um, the situation it is. And I think the, the I think the, one of the weird loopholes on this is that it is text message based. So it just like, it's not like, I think they do have like, like Facebook plugins and like websites and stuff, which, you know, kind of do have like the GDPR kind of big blocking things in your face, but the text message stuff really doesn't. So it's just like this weird giant yeah, ethical I, if you were texting can someone, of worms. Where do you even get the terms of service where they text you a link, the first text. Or yeah, something? yeah, that's. I think that's what they said that they were doing. Like they send you a link and everything. So it just like, like I think they've been doing it for quite some time. But I, I think it's one of those cases now where just like the light is being shed on this thing, and it's it's just it just seems so icky and gross that it's just so weird that it's it's like a a nonprofit that is trying to do good, but also finding some way to find profits off of that at the same time. It's just, it's, it's weird and tragic. And it, it really is kind of like, I think it fits really well with like the GDPR stuff. Cause it's, it's like, what do we own? What, what consents do we have? Oh. And how do we kind of make sure that people know what they're getting into? Well, dear listener, so... thank you for joining us on this most <laughs> fucking depressing podcast. So the moral of the I'm story sorry. is the world sucks. It, you are owned is, by your corporation. It is just so Fuck fascinating though. It's, it's just, it's just incredibly, I, I, I find it just so interesting. It's just, you know, where, where's the direction of all these things going? Uh, yeah. <laughs> like I, I could, I could sort of get behind sharing anonymized data with a research institution, like some publicly funded thing or another nonprofit. Even if you are selling the data to that other nonprofit in order to keep your own service alive, I can sort of get behind it. Uh, because the, there is value in that kind of aggregate data. But selling it to a third party for profit for AI research yeah, yeah, that is sound it's, super sketchy. And, and it, it's weird because it's also like a like sister company of the main company too so it's just like it's not even like third third party it's like it's i think the people that are already involved in the original nonprofit spinning a way to make money for themselves it's just it's so it's yeah. it's, it's a lot of drama and a lot of weirdness and a lot of red flags and i think it's been going on since like 2013 or something and i didn't remember the dates because it's i think a lot of this stuff is just still kind of within the past week or so developing all right um, thank you i'm depressed enough can we end the fucking <laughs> podcast now jesus yeah well i mean if they get uh if we had anything like the enforcement body that gdpr does uh <laughs> we could just straight up tell them hey call back you know you you gotta give us back a bunch of money and also delete all of that data hey that 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 project you were working on it's gone now Fuck you. So, so I, I, I will share something funny though, because I was actually looking at their terms of service to see what it looks like. And one of the interesting things is you can text them loofah to delete all your what? personal data. They oh, literally have a code it, word. 
Because literally, it yes, yes, it your data. <laughs> so it is. It is a sense of humor, which is a weird, delightful thing to add to this. But also, this this whole thing is just utterly ridiculous. What a, what, yeah, what an oddly lighthearted way to interact with a crisis hotline. <laughs> I know. I it just everything around this is just just. <laughs> incredible oh. all right all right i am fucking killing this dear listener thank you so very much for joining us for this unbelievably depressing ass podcast <laughs> uh, it was only the last five minutes have, it's okay you have tainted the new format <laughs> completely tainted uh zach Rooley, thanks again for a wonderfully depressing time yeah thank you tom all right uh and we'll be back next week to talk about uh well you know we're not going to pick between quests and reviews we're always have a little news so uh we'll be back next week to have Episode number 260. Wow, those numbers are really large when we put them together. So yeah, Zach Rooley, thanks again. And until next time, dear listener, don't call the QQ hotline. We'll sell you fucking data. (laughs) Wait, there's a QQ hotline? There should be. I need... need Bro, what's your phone number again? I'll put that on the air. dear listener thank you so very much for joining us please always remember that any views expressed on the podcast should be taken in context and are representative solely of the person expressing them they are not representative of their friends and family their co-hosts their co-workers and certainly not of their employers past present or future so again thank you for joining us and thanks for respecting our individuality i just got bored everybody out